We uh, are just uh, concluding, as we mentioned, the uh, series on the five ones, and uh, we're looking at five key aspects of the Christian faith uh, that uh, wherever you go around the world and look and find Christians, or wherever you look in history and through time, you find Christians behaving in certain ways because of what they believe. And this uh, series on five ones is meant as sort of a, a checklist for us. Do we really live out or what we believe, who we are. We hold up a mirror to ourselves and we ask, uh, where are we at in this? And you won't find the five ones listed in the Bible in any sort of legalistic way. Um, you know, it does not say thou shalt journal at five in the morning or anything like that. Um, certainly hope it doesn't say that because I don't do that. Not at five in the morning, that's for sure. But these are things that as we look at Christians uh, in the New Testament, as we look at the church as God formed it, as we look at cultures of true believers and communities of faith around the world and through time, we find that consistently this is how our faith is lived out. We worship God. We spend time with Him in personal prayer on a regular basis. We gather together for discipleship, that we, we don't live this Christian life alone. We build up one another and encourage one another and train one another. Uh, in the likeness of Christ, and we serve in ministry for ourselves to serve the church and to serve the world. And now, um, the last one of our, of our five ones uh, is one friend for Christ. Everywhere you look in around the world and through history, you find the church reaching the lost, reaching out from the church to those that don't know Christ. And I phrased it as one friend for Christ. I don't mean literally that you just have one and no more, um, or that there's not many friends at any given time during your life that you are reaching. Um, you know, hopefully there's dozens and dozens of them. But I mean it as a reminder that at any given time, there's that one person at least that you could name, that you could say, this is the person that's on my heart right now. This is the one person I know that... I'm having coffee with, I'm having conversations with, or I'm joining them in their struggle, or, you know, I have them in mind when I pray, or, you know, I'm, I'm just really seeking after them in terms of for the kingdom because I feel that they're close. And so I, I don't mean literally one friend, but just that at any given time you've, you could say there's that one person. And so that's what we're looking at today is what does it mean to reach people or to have this one friend or this one relationship that's really gospel-centric, that's really aimed at bringing them from darkness into light or from lies into truth, from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of heaven, to, to, to put the kernel of the gospel into their life that the Holy Spirit might work and see them rescued. Now, you may notice a certain order to the list as well. One gathering for worship. Obviously, as Christians, we're focused on God, right? I mean, it's all about Him. And so we gather to worship God, our Creator, and our great lover who has shown us his love and rescued us. And then one time for prayer is again about God and about us. It's about our relationship with him, which is very personal, and our dependence upon him and wanting to hear his voice. But it's still really between us and God. And then one group for discipleship is, is about the church, and it's kind of about me, and it's about me encouraging you, and you encouraging me, and, and, I, and I benefit from that. And then one ministry for service, well, it's getting a little more outwardly focused, right? There was more people involved in the small group, and there's obviously a lot more people involved in one ministry for service. Hopefully I'm serving the whole church or serving a whole community. It's getting a little more outward focused, but even one ministry for service is still kind of about me because it's you, me using my spiritual gifts in a place that gives me joy and, and, and serves God. But this last one, I think, is hard for a lot of reasons. It's, it's kind of the hardest one on the list that we land on 
Because really, this one friend for Christ is really not about us at all. It would be easy as Christians to go through this list, and many Christians do, guilty as charged at different seasons in my life. We could go through this list and say, yeah, I love this, love that, one group, love the fellowship, ministry, yeah, I love to serve, and just, you know, all good, and we're in the church, and I'm with God, and God's with me, and I got my fellow Christians around me, and we're building one another up, and we're serving the community, and, and that's great, but now I'm in. Right? I have my relationship. I've got my church family. I've got my ministry. I'm going to heaven. I'm saved. I'm good. I'm, I'm done right there. I don't, I don't need anything else for me. Right? Like, like I'm finished. And, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, but what about everybody else? Right? And so you can see how as Christians, if you just took those first four and you said, I have a great church, I have a great ministry, I have a relationship with God, I'm going to heaven, he's blessing me, he's redeeming my life, I'm done. Obviously, we can't start there, right? You can, you can hear already in my words how selfish that is, right? That, that I'm okay sucks to be you out there, right? That obviously can't be the end of the Christian life. And so this last one is hard for a lot of reasons. And I think, you know, not just subconsciously, but consciously is hard because it really has nothing to do with us at all. Because we got it, brothers and sisters. Like, you're here today and you're a believer. You got what I think is a great church, Right? You, you've got a fantastic relationship with God. You have the God of the universe who's interceded for you with his son to rescue you. You know, your eternity is secure. But then it can't just be about you, right? What about everybody else? And so this last one is hard because in our own flesh, we are constantly have that drag of selfishness, right? That once we're taken care of, really, we can take a breath and we can relax. And that flesh is still with us. Even when we're saved, there's that drag of our selfish flesh to say, just take care of yourself. Just make sure you're okay. You're happy. You're plugged in. Good. Now you can just relax. And so it's difficult because there's that selfishness in our flesh that still remains that is a constant pull. And it's also difficult because of all the spiritual battle that's going on because not only do you not really feel enthused about going out there into the world, Satan and our enemy does not want us going out there into the world and engaging in this battle. And then on top of that, you have the hostility of the world. And you know that too because you were hostile towards God at one point in your life. And if you can remember back to that time when you were hostile toward God and when somebody came up to you and said, hey, why don't we go to church and you know, let me talk to you about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and you're thinking, yeah, no, not having that conversation right? because I'm happy with the way I am. And so there's a hostility towards God. There's the selfishness of our flesh. There's a spiritual battle going on. There are literally dozens of things that are stacked against the deck for this as Christians that we can really love these first four and feel really good about being in a great church with a great God and ministry and serving. But then it comes to reaching out to the lost, that one friend for Christ, which is the mission of the church. The very mission that we have can be the most difficult one, of course. And so today what I want to talk about, and there are books on evangelism and there are systems for evangelism and there are methodologies for evangelism, but I I don't really want to talk about that so much today. Those are important things. But what I want to do is I want to ask how we not have a program for evangelism, not have systems and methods for evangelism, but how as we as Christians make that fifth thing on our list just come naturally out of who we are. Just how does this reaching out to those who are hurting and who are lost and who need the gospel happen 
Not because we're running evangelism explosion or because we have this program or we saw this video or we read this book, but simply how does it come out as our life in Christians, as Christians. And so we want to reach outward and we want to have an impact on the world around us for Jesus Christ. And how does that happen? Well, first of all, what I want to do is I want to talk about what is the gospel because we're talking about the gospel here. Right? And so if you're going to reach people with the good news of who Jesus Christ is, you have to understand what that good news is. None of this will make sense if we don't know what is meant by sharing or having a friend who we are trying to win to Jesus. And just the word gospel, of course, is a very Christian word. Most people won't even recognize it, certainly outside of these walls. They don't know what gospel is. And so it's certainly easier to translate it into English and let's just call it good news. Right? And that sounds better already. Everybody likes to get good news. Some people might not want to hear the gospel, but they do like good news. And so let's just call it good news, right? Everybody likes good news. Everybody enjoys getting good news. So what is this good news about? What's the good news that we have? And the good news of the gospel often we're our own worst enemies here because we reduce the gospel or we narrow the gospel. And this is the first problem is the gospel gets narrowed. We pull out something like John 3.16 and we say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we say that's the gospel. And that's good and it's biblical, obviously, and it's a great shorthand for the good news that we have in the gospel. But it obviously can't explain all the good news. And so when we're talking about the gospel, the first thing that we have to do is not allow ourselves to let the gospel get narrowed or to get reduced We don't want a reductionist gospel because, in fact, the gospel is such good news that it's not narrow, it's not reduced. The gospel is broad and the gospel is expansive. And so the first thing we do as Christians is we have to start widening out what the good news of Jesus Christ is. What is the good news that we find in Scripture? Jesus says things like, I have come to give you life and life abundantly. He said he came to forgive sin. We're told that Jesus reconciles man to God, that Jesus conquers death, that God is calling a people to himself, that he is redeeming both mankind and creation. And I could go on and on. Those are all, that's all gospel. The fact that that Jesus is giving us life abundantly, the fact that he's conquered death, the fact that he forgives sin, uh, the fact that God's redeeming creation, the fact that God's redeeming your life, he's redeeming mankind. All of these things are the gospel. And the gospel, we just sort of open up what the good news is. It gives us lots more to talk about. I mean, if you want to share the gospel with people and you broaden the gospel out, it gives you tons more things to talk about that are personal and applicable to their lives. And so we can start just by expanding the gospel out a little bit to say the good news is about God. It's news about who God is and what his intentions are, what God is already doing in history, and specifically the good news, of course, that's already been done for us that we couldn't do ourselves through Jesus Christ. You get there in the gospel... But you get there after an understanding of what the the good news is of God himself, right? The good news that God is perfect in both love and justice, that his plan is to rescue mankind and to redeem creation. The good news that he's accomplished perfect justice and perfect love on the cross and his actions are personal, that God has not just done this for humanity in some sort of philosophical sense or some sort of categorical sense, but that God has done this for you and for me. That God loves you and God loves me and God intends to rescue you in your circumstances. God has you in mind from before the foundation of the world. 
to save you from your circumstances and your choices. He intends to redeem and restore the things that I've messed up in my life and you've messed up in your life because of sin. And he intends to make our lives whole again and give us purpose and belonging and joy through trusting in him and his love by faith in Jesus Christ. The, good, the gospel is expansive. It's everything that God is doing. And that's what we're trying to share. When we talk about one friend for Christ or we talk about sharing the good news, we're talking about sharing all the things that God is and what he's doing. Jesus said it this way when he first began preaching and teaching. He went to the synagogue and he quoted himself actually through Isaiah. I mean, he wrote it, but he quoted Isaiah who said it back then. He says in Luke 4, 18 to 19, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the good news. Right? John, John 3.16 is fantastic. Okay, but when, when Jesus said, what's the good news I'm bringing? He said this in Luke 4.18-19. All of this stuff that he's doing to redeem and set free and heal and bring liberty and proclaim God's favor. That's good news. That's what we're sharing with the world. And the most important thing about sharing this good news is that we experience it for ourselves. Okay, if you're looking at how can you have this one friend for Christ, how can you share the good news of the gospel, the most important thing is is that you're experiencing it on an ongoing basis in your own life. And this is another thing that we reduce the gospel or we narrow it to. Sometimes we think, and I've mentioned this before, we think of the gospel as kind of a one and done. Right? Like I heard the gospel, I prayed the prayer, and now I kind of move on and I leave that behind. But no, the gospel, in the terms of this whole redemptive plan that God has, of his love being aimed at us, that he is healing relationships, that he's healing marriages, that he's redeeming choices that we've made, that he is making old things new again. Right? Or as Isaiah would say in his language, that he is rebuilding the broken foundations, sweeping the streets clean. All this redemptive work that God is doing, the most important thing about sharing the good news is that you're experiencing it. That you can look in your life and you can say, yeah, I see the gospel at work. I see God redeeming my life. I see him redeeming my choices. I see him setting me free from sin. I see him setting me free from bondage and false idols. The gospel is actually happening in my life all the time. And so we have to know the gospel and understand that the gospel is happening in the Christian life all the time. And then we can share it just makes it so much easier to share that Jesus takes our hurts and he heals them and he takes our regrettable decisions and redeems them that his love has captured us so that we trust him and treasure him more than anything this world can offer because if the gospel is not that kind of good news to you it's going to be hard to sell I was in business and I don't know how many people are in business and have are in have to do client relationship management or even just outright sales you know I'm just I'm one of those people that find I can't sell something I don't believe in, right? I can't, I know some people can do it. Maybe you have the gift of that and I'm not going to judge you if you can do that, but you can sell something that you don't actually believe in yourself. I couldn't do it. I have to bring myself to, to believe in and understand and, and love the thing that I'm selling. And if I couldn't have confidence in the thing that I was selling, then I couldn't honestly look somebody in the eye and say, this is a good thing for you. And in a way, we're not selling the gospel, but it's the same thing with the gospel. If we haven't experienced it, if it's not in our life that we have felt the redemption of God in our life, then it's going to be really hard to convince somebody that it's something they need or that they would believe you. 
And so this is important, that we know how broad the gospel is and that we understand and that we feel it and have it happening in our own life. Because then it's so easy to share. But then we still have a problem. You say, Paul, that's great. I understand the gospel and, and uh, you know, I realize how broad it is and the whole redemptive work of God is active in my life and I'm aware of it, but we still have this problem that the world is hostile and we are weak. And this is where evangelism or we're sharing the gospel, or having that one friend for Christ really boils down to, right, we're afraid. For most people, I think, it's that we feel we're weak. We feel that the hostility that's out there is stronger than what's in us. We can't handle the embarrassment, or we don't have the courage, or we're afraid of the repercussion. Or I'm not good at talking, or I can't make good arguments, right? I'm not an apologist, you know. I don't don't know my scripture well enough. I just feel like I'm going to let God down. And that's where we really struggle, because... Because we may know the gospel and we may feel it in our lives, but we just feel weak in our own flesh and we're afraid. That we don't have all the skills and the system in place to do it the way, you know, we've seen guys share the gospel so well and we're just not that person. Well, the second thing that I want to talk about is the mission of the gospel in terms of one friend for Christ. Mark 1, 16 to 20. We'll just see if Jesus has an answer for that. Whether Jesus thinks it's a problem that you are as equipped as you think you aren't. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Okay, so now look at this. Here's here's Jesus now arising on the scene of history. And he is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist proclaims. He is saying that he is ushering in the kingdom of God. He is the son of God. This is momentous stuff, right? And and so what does Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah do, the lamb who's taking away the sins of the world, he's entering into the fullness of his ministry. And so what does he do? Does he raise an army? Does he set up a throne in the temple? Does he kick the Romans out? Does he put an angel on every street corner? I mean, that's what the Messiah would do, right? No, no. It should be that, it sounds like, but instead he walks along the beach and he picks out four middle-class fishermen to come help him fish for men. This is Jesus' answer to whether we feel we're equipped or not to work in his kingdom with his gospel. Like, just, just pause here for a moment and realize that Jesus is not calling these guys because they're something special. We know that they're not, okay, because we get to see the rest of the gospels. I mean, Peter, I mean, Peter, come on. Right? Argued with Jesus at all the wrong times. Cuts off this guy's ear. Jesus has to fix that. Denies him three times at his Lord's darkest hour. Jesus didn't pick Peter because he, you know, he's like, you know, I've been around Palestine. I've been around Israel. You four are the most noble, upright guys I can find. No. James and John, sons of thunder. Right? They're arguing about who's going to sit on the right and the left of Jesus when he finally gets to heaven. They even get his mom, their mom to do it. Right? Like, these are not people that you would normally pick out. And here's the amazing thing about God's plan of redemption and grace is that Jesus invites us into and Jesus entrusts us with his mission and entrusts his mission of redemption and grace to those who are in need of his redemption and grace. Right? Jesus says, here's four guys who desperately need my help. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite them into my mission of bringing my redemption to the world, the people that need my redemption. It's incredible. 
The wonder of the gospel is not just what the gospel is able to do in our lives. The wonder of the gospel is about who the gospel employs to do its work. I mean, it's amazing, the gospel power in our lives. And that's wonderful. But what is also marvelous is the fact that the gospel employs us to be its method of reaching the world. And here's why. Here's why this works. Here's why it's not about how noble we are or how good we are or how skilled we are. The gospel works because the gospel is about Jesus, not us. The disciples are not called because of who they are, but because of who Jesus is. The gospel does not speak to our adequacy, but speaks to the adequacy of Jesus. And so sharing the gospel or bringing redemption into the world as God is redeeming the world through his people in his kingdom in the world has nothing to do with how redeemed we are or how adequate we are or how sufficient we are. It has to do with how sufficient and adequate and competent Jesus is. And we have seen that this is how God has acted in his redemptive plan all through history. I mean, Noah? Really? Drunk in his tent? Like, just days after God delivers them in the flood? Abraham? Sold out his wife twice? Moses, Samson, David, take your pick. They're all messed up, inadequate people that God uses. Because the Bible is not a story of noble people who make the right choices, but a story of broken people who are rescued by God's grace. And that is everyone who is here. That's you, that's me. We are these broken people in need of redemption. And Jesus says, yeah. And I'm going to use people in need of redemption to offer my redemption to share the gospel. These fishermen that Jesus calls are just regular guys. And so when the gospel has touched you and you see the mission of healing and redeeming and forgiving and restoring that God has in and on and through Jesus, then you can't help but say, yeah, I want to be a part of that mission. Right? Everybody here I know who's a believer is saying, I, I so want to be strong here. I want to be a part of this mission that God has to redeem the world. I want to be there. But then our flesh and our mind says, but I'm not qualified. I'm inadequate. And then Jesus responds and says, perfect. That means you're not depending on your adequacy and yourself, but you're depending on Jesus and the cross. That the good news won't be about how eloquent you are. The good news won't be about how together you have your life. The good news won't be how you're such a great person. The good news will be about how great Jesus is. Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 4.7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see how that works? Paul gets it. We are the jars of clay, and we have this incredible treasure, far more valuable than ever should be entrusted to a clay jar. It should be in a solid platinum titanium vault somewhere because it's the treasure of Lord Jesus and his death, his sacrifice, his blood, his brokenness on the cross for us. That should be locked up in a platinum titanium vault somewhere in heaven. That is not a treasure that should be entrusted to us because we are broken clay vessels. But Paul says that's the exact treasure we have. We have this treasure, which is the good news of what God has done in our broken clay vessels. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. 
We have this treasure not because we're such great vaults to store it in. We have this treasure because God has loved us so much to redeem us. And that's the gospel message that has to get across. And so the invitation of Jesus in his mission to the world is to get up in your brokenness and get up in your messiness and get up in your weakness. And through you in your messiness and your weakness and your ignobility and your, your need of redemption, I will catch for myself a people out of the world through you. Now, how does that catching happen? How does he fish for these people through broken guys like us? Well, two ways. First of all, by the gospel being active in our lives, as I already touched on a little bit. Putting aside our feeling of inadequacy, we have to see that the gospel active in our own lives. We have to apply the gospel to our own brokenness before we try to apply it to others. As we grow in our trust of what Jesus has done and is doing in our lives and the transforming power that takes in our lives, it starts to get noticed by those around us and it changes how we talk and it changes how we act. It changes how we react. It replaces stress with peace and fear with confidence. Right? As, as, as we expand our understanding of what the gospel is, all that redeeming and healing and peacemaking and forgiveness and mercy, all of that gospel good news, all that good news of what God is and what he's doing in our life, as we start to apply that day by day in our life so that our lives are transformed by the gospel, people start to notice because we don't react in anger when somebody's angry at us, right? Because we lay down our lives to serve others. When we could choose this for ourselves or this for someone else, people notice that we're always choosing to serve others rather than ourselves, Right? Or when we can heal a relationship that's been broken for years, when we can humble ourselves and esteem others more highly than ourselves, when all of that gospel transformation takes place. Humility and grace and mercy and forgiveness, and we are transformed, then just live that out. Let that shine. Right? Be salt and light. Let that out into the world. And so the first part of, of, of One Friend for Christ or having these people know what the gospel is, is that we live it. We have to have the gospel living and active in our own lives. And the gospel takes different forms for different people. So the gospel in Graham's life is different than the gospel in my life. The gospel, you know, in, in Bill's life is different than the gospel in my life. The, the gospel is different for each of us. It's the same gospel. It's John 3.16. It's what God is doing. But how the gospel has transformed us and what the gospel is doing is different for different people in different cultures. This is what I mean. Let me talk about it at a cultural level, first of all. Uh, 30, 40 years ago, there was a thing called evangelism explosion. And if you go and look at evangelism explosion and how it was done, one of the things that's interesting about evangelism explosion is it, it deals with goodness. You know, because our older parents' or grandparents' generation, it was about doing what is right. Am I a good person or not a good person? And so evangelism explosion dealt with the gospel in terms of how good is good enough? And we actually use that book, and it's still a good way of approaching the gospel. It doesn't go away entirely. But culturally, it was about, can I be good enough to get to God? And so evangelism explosion dealt with the gospel in terms of goodness or righteousness and unrighteousness. Okay, that doesn't work so much anymore. Okay, when the millennials came along, it became about idolatry. Is the thing that I'm serving in my life Something that's worthy of serving is the thing that I have as the foremost treasure in my life. And that's why I talk that way a lot, because I'm a millennial, uh, Gen X, almost millennial. And, and so I, I talk in terms of idolatry. And that's a good way of looking at the gospel, too. But culturally, that, that Gen X leading up to millennial 
generation was about idolatry. What is first in my life and does that thing satisfy or is it ultimately bondage? Right? If I, if I worship my career, if I worship fame, if I worship money, if I worship sex, if I, if I worship acceptance, if that's my idol that I have to have for my life to have meaning, does it really give me meaning or does it actually enslave me? And so the gospel is presented in terms of idolatry and that works for Gen X's leading up to millennials. Now you've got millennials and Gen Y's and what works for them is identity. What is my identity? And I'm just talking broadly culturally. I'm not talking about specific people, right? But now it's my gender identity. Now it's my personhood. Now it's my political identity. Now it's my set of beliefs. Right? Am I for or against certain things? And so now the gospel for this culture is about identity. And so we talk about what's your identity in Christ? Can, is your identity a trap? Is your identity enslavement? Or has God come to set us free in a new identity? And the gospel, the Bible, speaks to all these things. But in different cultures, the gospel is different. It means different things to different people. And then within those cultures... Within those tribes, right, now we're in North America, where it used to be the tribe was all the same. We were all white Anglo-Saxon Protestants for the most part, right, or came out of that European tradition. Well, that's, you know, now it's the multicultural melting pot, which is awesome. But now you have all these different tribes, not even ethnically, but tribes within populations, right? You got, you know, the skaters and the metalheads. I mean, the, the high schoolers know what I'm talking about. You got your tribes at high school, right? Right? You got the jocks and the geeks and the preppies and the metalheads and the stoners and the... You know, the skaters and the sports jocks. Like, it's all different tribes. And the, and the gospel reaches those tribes in different ways. And we need missionaries into all those different tribes. Okay, this is what I'm getting at. Is that the gospel affects, even within the culture or within tribes, the gospel comes to us. What is good news for you? For some people, the good news for them was that they heard that God is a loving father because they had a horrible home life. They maybe had an abusive father. And so the good news is that there is a father who loves them. And that's the good news that they hear. Who will never harm them. Or that they're invited to belong to a new eternal family that would never leave them because their family wasn't there for them. That would be good news to that specific person. Or for some people who were in despair over the seeming randomness of the universe and the purposelessness of life, the good news comes to them that there is nothing come about by chance. That in fact there is a designer who has designed everything. That their life is not just random atoms that were put together at some point, but in fact, they were knit together in their mother's womb and God has a purpose for them. That would be good news to that specific person. Or if you even think about the disciples, the gospel would have come to them differently. As John Bowen, a writer on evangelism, puts, he says, if you can ask Peter, what is the good news about Jesus, I imagine his eyes might fill with tears and he might say, he forgave my betrayal. And if you ask Thomas, what about you? He would say, he was patient with my doubts and convinced me he conquered death. Matthew, what was the good news for you? Jesus loved me when nobody else would and gave me a new start. Mary, what was the good news for you? Jesus valued and loved me as a disciple, even though I was a woman. Zacchaeus, well, he said that in spite of everything I had done wrong, I could be forgiven and be a part of God's plan. You see, the gospel comes to people in unique ways. The good news is the same. It's always God's redemptive love, but it comes to people in different ways. And as you live out the good, this is the connection to you, as you live out the gospel in your unique way, what was good news for you, what is good news for you today? 
whether it's what you've gone through in the past, the decisions you made, what you're struggling with, as you personally live out the gospel in your life, God will bring you in contact with people who need the gospel, who need the good news that you have, who can say, this is what God's good news means to me. This is how he's redeeming and restoring and healing my life. And you can communicate that to them because your good news is the same good news they're looking for. And as we do that, we can learn how to put the gospel into the context for people. Right? In the examples, we can get that from Scripture too. If you're thinking, this, I'm just making this up. You look at 1 Corinthians 9, right? Where Paul says, I become all people. Sorry. To the strong I've been strong. To the weak I've become weak. To the long I've been trying to remember. <laughs> I become all things to all people so that I might win some. Right? So, so that's Paul. He's saying, I will become weak to the weak. I will become strong to the strong. I'll become as the lawless to those without the law. I'll come under the law to those under the law, right? So that I might win some. Or you see Paul working in Athens where, you know, they bring him out and there's all the, the gods around and he has to totally change. It's to totally change how he presents the good news of God. He's not talking to Jews anymore. He's, he's talking to philosophers and Stoics in Athens who's got hundreds of idols all around him. And he says, I, I saw you've got an idol here to the unknown God. You know, because you guys are so worried about all the different gods there are. You're worried you forgot one. Well, you did. I'll tell you who that unknown God is. Right? And so Paul understood that we have to share the gospel in a way that's meaningful, but it comes, it flows out of who we are and how the gospel's affected us. Sorry, I've got to keep going. But then it's more than just living it out. And I'm, and I'm sure you've heard this, and it's, it's one of the... It's good. It's also very bad. You know, preach the gospel every day and if necessary, use words. It's always necessary to use words, okay? It doesn't mean you will use words every day, but it's always necessary. Okay, the gospel has to be lived out and shown in your life, but then it has to be spoken. We actually have to share the good news with words. As I heard one pastor say once, people can watch you paint over a hundred walls of graffiti or the community can watch you dish out a thousand bowls of soup to your neighbor and never know based on that, that Jesus has died on the cross for their sins. Yes, serve soup. Yes, clean up the neighborhood, paint over graffiti. But serving soup and painting over graffiti will never communicate to people that Jesus Christ has come and died for them. You have to say it. Eventually, you have to speak the gospel. Romans 10:14 says, How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who they've never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And if we look at the example of the apostles, they just shared their personal story. This is why the gospel in our own life is so important. Because it's just, it's just sharing how the gospel's worked. It's their testimony. You look at 1 John 1, 1, and he talks about the, the ministry of the apostles. And he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life, this is what we preached to you. This is what we spoke to you. It's just Jesus in our life is what we shared. Writer, 1 Peter 3.15 passes it on to the rest of the church. He says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, and yet do it with gentleness and respect. And so the gospel has to be spoken. You have to say, this is what God has done. There is a God, and He's loving, and it is His heart to redeem the world. It's His desire to heal you, to make you whole. And to bring you into an eternal relationship with Him. It is good news. It's the best news you're going to hear. 
You want more examples? Here's what he did in my marriage. Here's what he did in my illness. Here's what he did with my sin. Here's what he did with my anger. Here's what he did with my jealousy. Here's the person I used to be. Show all the brokenness and then show how God's redeemed it. Just share that good news. But you have to use words and you eventually have to come and they say, but how did all this happen? And you say it was only possible because of that cross. Because Christ came. God loved you so much that He died for you. He had to make a way. His justice demanded that something be paid for. But His love was so overwhelming that He paid the price so that He could redeem your life. you got to get to the Gospel. Just trust in that Gospel. It's powerful. you got to speak it. The Word of God does not return void. And also, we do this together. This is the part where the spoken gospel, that's, that's where our throat gets stuck, right? That's where our voice gets stuck in our throat. That's where we're worried about the repercussion. Now, that's where God has made us broken, invited us in our brokenness into this redemptive plan exactly because we're clay vessels. That's why. Because it's about Jesus, not about us. And that's why we can live it out in our lives and have this transformation. But then we also have to speak it. But he puts us in community so that we don't do this alone. We do this together. One of the things about that fishing analogy that that Jesus uses is that when he said that he would make you fishers of men or when he talks about fishing for people, nobody in his culture would have thought of a person standing there with a pole. Okay, they didn't fish with poles that way, right? That's what you do out on the ice in the wintertime or that's what you do when you're bass fishing, right, on the lakes up here. When Jesus was talking about fishing, what kind of fishing was it that they did? Nets. It was net fishing, right? It was a bunch of guys all together on a boat with a big net. And it was one big net going over and a whole bunch of people pulling that net together. And so when Jesus says, I'll make you fishers of men, he does not have it all in his mind and none of his listeners would have had in his mind a solitary, silhouetted person on the side of a shore with a pole working all by themselves, hoping they can get that one fish. Jesus had in mind net fishing. He had in mind the church working together. You're not alone that we are working together. And so you have people who are maybe stronger at hospitality than you. And so you might be thinking, oh, I can't reach out to people, this whole lifestyle thing, inviting people over. I, d- I don't do that stuff. Well, there's people next to you that are good at hospitality. Invite them over to their house. Then invite yourself over. And then you can all have dinner with that person who would never kick you out because they have the gift of hospitality. Right? Or you say, well, I'm not really good at apologetics. I get tongue-tied. I don't speak very well, you know. But there are people here that are. And so you can say, you know what, I'm having... This friend of mine asked me questions at work and we're getting together for coffee. I need you to come with me because you say this stuff so much better than I do. But I've got this friend, he trusts me, so if you come, I've got the relationship, right? Or maybe you're the other person. Maybe you're like, I'm really good. I can explain my faith. You put somebody down in front of me, I can explain the whole thing, redemptive plan of God and why it's important to them and, and, and all of that stuff. But I just am not a kind of standoffish person. They don't get to know me all that well then you need to go find some people who have friends if you don't have any, right? <laughs> and you get together with them and you say, have you got a friend who maybe you know, needs to hear the word of God, maybe needs to hear a word from Jesus, you know? And I'll be cool about it. I won't like, you know, knock on his door and stick a tract in his face. Maybe that's appropriate. Maybe you should do that. But, you know, but you get together. Like it's net fishing, okay? It's not just one guy with a pole. You're all doing it together. And then the net itself, right? It's not just one message, 
The net is the church. The net is all the things that we're doing. It's love and mercy and compassion. You know, it is the, the Christmas baskets and it's the shepherd's table and it's youth group and it's family night and it's trunk or treat and it's all these things. It's a net that's cast into the community to gather whoever's close to the boat. And whoever's close, we want to draw in together, working together. And so you're not doing this alone, but you do have to speak. And so I just say to you, if you have these friends, you can, you can bring them to church and the gospel will be proclaimed to them. You can invite them into your home. You can watch a video. You can, you, can, you can do things. You can have a coffee with them, whatever. But at some point, the gospel has to be spoken to them by somebody. But you don't have to do it all alone. But most important is just share your story. Right? You, don't, you don't have to have the eight points of the gospel or seven points of this or, or all that stuff nailed down. All you've got to do is share your story of the gospel alive in you. And then finally, leave the results up to God. Thank you, music team, for giving me a little extra time this morning because <laughs> I'm still talking. But the last point, leave the result up to God. Right? This is the other thing that just takes the burden off because we're so afraid. Right? Like We're going to put this out there and, and they're going to reject it and then I'm going to feel stupid because they don't want it and then I'm going to feel bad about my own faith because why don't they love the thing that I love? You know what? The results are up to God. Okay, It's the Holy Spirit that does it. Our job is to allow the gospel to fully transform it, to live out the gospel in every moment of our life so that people can see that transformation and then speak the gospel to those that need it. But then after that, then we just let the Holy Spirit in His power accomplish the results. Because what did I start out by saying in the gospel? It's not about our competency or adequacy. It's about the adequacy of Jesus Christ. Let the Holy Spirit accomplish the results. 1 Corinthians 2, 2 to 5. Like if anybody was the evangelist, it was the Apostle Paul, right? Like if you had your mind set on who is the perfect example of the best evangelist that humankind had to offer the kingdom of heaven to go to work, you would say the Apostle Paul. And this is what the Apostle Paul says about his own evangelism. He says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. See, Apostle Paul, he said, I was afraid, I was timid, I was not even talking plausibly. (laughs) And I didn't want to, because I wanted the results to be in the glory and in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. Not because I was particularly convincing. So brothers and sisters, you are in good company if you are fearful of sharing the gospel. If you are saying, my life is not good enough. You know, that's the, you know that I just, you know, I would be embarrassed to share the gospel because if they look at my life, they won't see pretty things. Yeah, you, you think Peter's life was any better? Right? You think John's life was any better? No. No, they were just fishermen. Middle class guys like you and me, just doing their job. And Jesus takes them and he says, I'm going to redeem your life and I'm going to use you to redeem others. And so don't be afraid. Apostle Paul says, I I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. Who's going to rescue me from this? We're all broken and God's using us. And so, brothers and sisters, leave the results up to God. He's in the business of redeeming lives. He's in the business of redeeming the world. And he's going to do that redemption through us. And he's going to use our weakness and our brokenness and our inadequacy on purpose for his glory. And so there are lots of challenges right now to the good news of Jesus getting out into our culture. There's that hostility 
of the culture towards us. There's the spiritual warfare. There's legal persecution going on. There's cultural persecution. There's our own weakness and fallenness. But God is not counting on our nobility or our eloquence to win the world. He's employing broken vessels that are daily being transformed by the gospel to simply let people see what is happening and then offer them the same hope that we have. And we don't do it alone. We have the church. We have the spiritual gifts of others. We have the hospitality of others. We have the generosity of others. We have the testimony of the others around us. And of course, we have God's word. And above all, we have the Holy Spirit. So our job then is just to see the good news that God intends for the world. Know the gospel in all its fullness. Trust God to use our weakness humbly. Make the good news real in our own lives. See the good news and how others need that good news in their life, whatever their unique circumstances are, and then speak the words and share the good news of who Jesus Christ is. And at any given time, we should all know at least who that one person is that we are doing this with, that we are sharing our gospel life with. That's our mission. That's what we're called to do. Right? It would be so easy just to stay on the cruise ship, right, inside the walls. All the good stuff that happens in here but we're called to reach a world that's lost in darkness, it's lost in despair, it's replaced truth for lies, it's a kingdom of darkness, it's a kingdom of deception, it's a kingdom of bondage out there. And the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, that the lies and the despair and the deception can be replaced with truth and hope and confidence, that the darkness can be replaced with light, that the chains can be broken and replaced with freedom. That's the message we bring to our friends and to a world that needs it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this message. This this is it. This is the message of the church. This is the gospel, the good news, everything about who you are. Wow, we thank you for it. What an amazing message we have. What an amazing God we have. I just pray that we can find the ways to make that message real in our lives, that we would apply the gospel every day, and then we would share it with those who we see are in desperate need of it. We have coworkers, we have family members, we have friends who need the gospel. But Lord, we need your Holy Spirit going before us to open up those conversations. Give us courage and wisdom and love and compassion to reach them. And then, Father... Make the gospel applicable in our mouths so that when we speak it, they see that there is hope for them, that there is healing for them, that there is redemption for them, and it comes from you. And then let us introduce them to your Son, Jesus Christ, through whom all this is possible. And let's do it together. Let's not be out there on our own. Let's do it together. Father God, I I just pray this. It's heavy on my heart this morning. You know it. I pray that this good news would get out into this community. I mean, we see it every week. We're up here praying for somebody who's committed suicide or is getting divorced or, you know, lives are falling apart or is trapped in addiction or, you know, whatever it is, Lord, it seems we're here all the time praying about the despair and the darkness that lurks behind every household that we walk by as we go for a walk. And Lord, just, oh, we ask that there would be a revival in our own lives of the gospel and that there would be a revival in this community of your good news penetrating the darkness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.